All right, 1 Samuel 15 is where we are in our study. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been there, so we'll, we'll do just a little bit of review. Really, we'll, we're just going to pretty, pretty well just dive into this and, and, um, and try to explain what would be pertinent to understand, but I think it, it pretty well stands alone as well. So let's look at it now in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 15 and verse number 1. Our text is going to run through verse 15, though I'd like to highlight just a little bit past that just for the sake of understanding uh, the emphasis, the focus that's, that's right here before us. <clears throat> Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, what's the next word? Hearken. That, that word hearken sometimes here in chapter 15 shows up as hear. Sometimes it shows up as obey. Because if, if you are hearkening, then you're doing what the Lord tells you to do. Okay, so it, it's a prominent word. It's the reason I'm calling this much attention to it. I think it's, it shows up eight different times in this particular uh, chapter. All right, verse two. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Verse 4, and Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in uh, Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. So that's quite an army now that has rejoined Saul. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, go Depart, get you down from among Amalek, the Amalekites, rather, lest I destroy you with them, for ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote, and Saul smote the Amalekites, notice this, from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, which that is over against Egypt. So I mean that. That's a, a widespread attack on Emma, uh, the Amalekites. They were to the south. And so, I mean, really, um, Saul's doing what God said. All right, let's go home. That's it, right? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just stop right there and just say, well, he did exactly what God said. But remember, we're talking about Saul. Verse 9, verse 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, notice this now, verse 9, and the best of the sheep. God said to destroy the sheep, right? Everybody clear on that? But they spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good. 
and would not only destroy them, but, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. But they kept the best for themselves. Well, Saul's going to put a spin on that in just a moment. Pretty much for themselves. Watch this. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. We'll deal more with that in a coming message. For he is turned back, notice this, Saul is turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul, notice this, Saul came to Carmel, Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place. Now, I never noticed that before. We'll come to it later when you're sitting down in just a moment. Okay, hang on. He set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. Verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, brother. <laughs> now I added brother, but blessed be, I'm so glad to see you. For I have, uh, I performed all the commandment of the Lord. You ever notice how guilty people proclaim their innocence real quick? I've done what God said. And Samuel said, what meaneth then the, this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? Why am I hearing sheep, Saul? Why am I hearing oxen that are lowing? What, what, what meaneth the lowing of the oxen which I hear? If you've been so obedient, why, why am I hearing that? What's that? As a sheep. <laughs> Mm. And Saul said, notice this, they, the people, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, the people, the people, it never was Saul's fault. The people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice them unto the Lord. Oh, yeah. Thy God. Notice he didn't say my God. That's significant in it. To sacrifice him unto the Lord thy God and the rest. Now notice the pronoun change here. They spared, but we utterly destroyed. Uh-huh. So, um, Look at verse 19. Wherefore then thou didst not obey the voice of the Lord, and, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 20, Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. Verse 22, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? We're going to come back to these verses, but I just wanted you to see the emphasis here. As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, I mean, you know this verse, 
To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as the iniquity and idolatry. Well, we better, we better get hold of that, hadn't we? Now, it's going to take another sermon to get there, but, but we'll, we'll sure get there. Yeah. And so tonight, here's the title of the message, then I'll let you be seated. The completely rebellious nature of partial obedience. The completely rebellious nature of partial obedience. This is part one. This is part one of that. Selective obedience rules out, rules you out of God's will. Selective obedience rules you out of God's will. So may God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. Let's, uh, let's consider this here tonight. I believe it to be very important for our spiritual well-being. <clears throat> I uh, was reminded this last week while uh, just on campus for um, a couple of different times and, and the students um, have spring cleaning. Dorm day. <laughs> you need mercy, I guarantee it. <laughs> white glove. We called it white glove while I was in, you know, college and, and I was an RA. And, um, and so the idea is, and we generally did it right around, you know, college days. We'd have a bunch of guests coming on campus. A lot of them staying in the dorm. So, I mean, everything needed to be clean. I mean, it's just like Thanksgiving, you clean the house, everybody's coming over, you're gonna have things in good order. So we'd have uh, what we call white glove. Well, the idea of white glove is that, that uh, students would do their laundry. Amen? Now I'm, I'm pointing that directly to the men in particular here in this congregation, that they would do their laundry at least once a semester. Hopefully more. <laughs> But we wanted all the, all the laundry to be done. Well, you know, I mean, and, and all the trash out and everything. Guys would get um, creative. The true word is lazy in their application and get ready for white gloves. So my job uh, was to go and inspect, you know, a floor and, and the dorm. And so I'd inspect my own guys, the guys that are on the floor. I'd inspect their, that floor and then another floor generally. And... And so uh, anyways, a lot of guys, you'd see them toting their laundry basket out to their car. I mean, it's supposed to be done, but at least it's out of the dorm. No telling what their car smelled like for months, no doubt. But anyways, uh, but then I found some creative ways that some students took care of said laundry. I uh, came into one and one room and and the young man said, hello, brother Jason. <laughs> I have performed all the white glove duties. <laughs> Pretty much is what he said. He didn't say it exactly like that, but it was sounding a lot like Saul. And I was hearing all kinds of sheep running around in the room. You know what I'm talking about? They're just everywhere. And sure enough, up in the ceiling tiles, he had moved the ceiling tiles and put laundry up in there. A for effort, right? Creativity. 
I opened up, uh, I, I believe it was the same room, if I'm not mistaken, I opened up his closet and there, I mean, he had a 55 gallon drum or 50 gallon drum of, uh, or, or uh, trash cans, what I'm trying to say. You know, just big old gray trash can. I mean, we were just used to this guy having that. I looked in there and it, I mean, it was an empty trash bag in it. So it seemed, but then I heard a little, bah. and what he had done is he had just taken a, another liner and put it over top of the trash or whatever it was that was in there instead of just going ahead and taking it out. But he said, hey, good to see you, Brother Gaddis. I've done everything that was for me to do, right? Needless to say, he did not pass white glove. Right? But neither did Saul. Neither did Saul. This, uh, this matter, as I got into it, I, I read one quote that talked about um, how that Saul was selective in his obedience. I, I don't know that I would have thought to have termed it that way, but I think it's spot on, don't you? He was selective. Now, we often think about selective and we think about selective hearing. Uh, man, I said that um, we think about selective hearing. Gentlemen, sir, so, sorry, <laughs> what? So I saw a picture of uh, this hearing aid and it had three settings on it. One setting for wife, one setting for off and the other setting for TV, and it was set on TV, so. <laughs> Selective hearing. Um, I, ha I'm <laughs> I saw another saying that said this, I have selective hearing and you've not been selected, so sorry. <laughs> Did Saul have selective hearing? Well, I believe Saul heard very clearly everything God said to do. But rather, he had selective obedience. He was choosy in what he selected to do. I wonder if that's a problem that only Saul had. No, I think that all of us deal with that. You know what's unique about this as we get into it and try? I mean, this is a long chapter and it's a, it's a monumental chapter in the life of Saul, but... But the thing that I think is quite significant from the very get-go is this, is that uh, God, by the way, we, I mean, way back when we started talking about Saul, we, we made the point that God didn't set Saul up to fail. I mean, even though, even though the people of Israel wanted a king to be like all the other nations and they wanted a king like the, the other nations, I mean, they, they wanted to fit in with all the other kings that they had already defeated. So anyways, and God gave them a king after their own heart. And so, uh, but we see that God, God was there to give Saul help. And even when Saul failed, I mean, when Saul totally blew it, chapter 13, he blew it. He was supposed to wait on Samuel to arrive. And so instead of waiting on Samuel day seven, he finally just offered up sacrifices as though he were a priest. And, and so God said to Saul through Samuel, the kingdom is departed from you. I mean, he royally blew it. I mean, uh, pardon the pun, but he did. He royally blew it as the king. He just totally messed up. And yet here is God giving him a very important assignment. What do you mean a very important mission, very, very important assignment? Well, he's given him the opportunity to fulfill an ancient prophecy that God said would happen 
that I will remember Amalek. I will remember what they did and I will deal with Amalek. And Saul, ironically, is the chosen vessel through whom God would fulfill that prophecy. Now, in many ways to me, I don't know how you're thinking about it right now, but in some ways I think, man, that's mind-blowing that God would give Saul another chance. In fact, maybe we could say it this way, a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a sixth chance. But how many of you have been the recipient of multiple opportunities that God has given to you, even though, even though you and I did not deserve it? I'm glad we serve a God who is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy and that he's gracious in his dealings with us. And even when we blow it, he has not. So Saul... You have been selected by God to lead in this battle against the Amalekites and to deal with them. Now, we do need to understand who the Amalekites were. Amalek was the grandson of Esau, Jacob and Esau, the twins. So Amalek was the grandson of Esau, and they have been a thorn in Israel's side from the day that they left Egypt. I mean, literally, all right? So if you remember back in Exodus chapter number 17, uh, they didn't have water and God provided them water. And then the Bible says this, then came Amalek. It's, it's ominous. Then came Amalek. And Deuteronomy tells us in Deuteronomy chapter number 25, that they, they came in behind the Israelites and they attacked the, the, the ones that were kind of straggling behind because of their age, because, either because they were so young, they couldn't keep up with the whole big entourage of people that were going you know, out of Egypt and, or the elderly or those that were infirm. I mean, the Amalekites, listen, listen now, they were brutal. They tortured people, literally. And, and they, they, they were uh, a very brutal people and they were the very first ones to attack Israel, to attack Israel. And God said back in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 25, I will remember Amalek. I will deal with them. And I will deal with them the way that they have dealt with my people. Now, hang on, before, before you listen to the bleeding heart liberals that say, God is such a ruthless, mean, bloodthirsty God. God is a God of compassion and mercy and graciousness. And, and in and Genesis chapter number 15 and verse number 14, he even said this, that the, can, the cup of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, the God's cup of judgment that he would pour out on them, it was not yet full. He's gonna, are you listening to this tonight? He's gonna give them the opportunity to repent and that would have included even the, Am the Amalekites and the Amorites, the Hittites, there's a close connection between those two. And so from the time, watch this, from the time of Abraham till now, the time of Saul, that's a long period of time that God has graciously given to them to repent and they have not. And this, God said in Genesis chapter 12, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. So listen, because the Amalekites have cursed Israel. 
by attacking them. I mean, if, if we took the time tonight to go through all the times through the book of Joshua, through the book of Judges, through the, through the even earlier than that, for us to trace all that the Amalekites have done to Israel, then we would have ample evidence, plus what all they've done to all the other nations, the ruthlessness and brutality that has been manifest there. In fact, if you look, let your eyes scan down right quick to chapter 15, verse number 33, as, as Samuel deals with Agag, the king of the Amalekites, he says this, just like as your sword, if you allow me just to paraphrase, you're seeing it with your eyes, but as your sword has made others childless, so now you will be. You see that? So he's saying, listen, you have been brutal. You have been ruthless. And God says, I don't forget. Hey, listen, friend, listen, we need to remember this. God is a God of justice. God is a God of love, yes, but he's also a God who understands and remembers when children are abused and when adults are abused. And God doesn't forget what people do. He has not forgotten what Hitler did. He has not forgotten Mussolini. He has not forgotten Stalin. He has not forgotten other dictators and brutal people throughout time. Listen, God will deal with all of that. God has not forgotten Putin either. And what's going on in the brutality that is there. And so you, you read this text, you think, man, that is so, that is so uh, extreme that, that he said to wipe out everybody and wipe out everything. Well, we need to understand that this has not changed in the Amalekites' life. It's still their way of action. And God is saying it's time for judgment to fall upon them. Does everybody follow that? Yeah. Now, we could take a lot more time to deal with that, the, the ethics of it. But here's, here's what will save a lot of time on that. We know that God is ethical about everything that he does. He's a God of justice. But what's very clear is that God told Saul, Saul, I want you to totally deal with them uh, to bring my judgment upon them. I'm going to use you as my instrument of judgment upon them. I'm going to cause them now to reap what they have been sowing. That should cause us to be concerned as a nation that has brutally murdered over 60 million babies. That should cause us to be concerned. Saul, I want you to be my instrument of judgment upon this wicked and ungodly nation. I've given them time to repent and they have not repented and the cup of my wrath is now full. And this is not, by the way, I want to be very clear before we move on here. This is in no wise a form of ethnic cleansing. God is not an ethnic cleanser. Are you listening to me? He, this is not ethnic cleansing. This is not a bloodthirsty God. This is judgment that has fallen upon a people because of their lack of repentance. And the point I want to make here now is just that God chose Saul to execute this plan, to take this mission and to have this opportunity. But listen, with everything that God gives us to do, the wonderful privilege and blessing of having an opportunity to serve God comes great responsibility. The kingship was never intended by God to be, to function without his involvement. Even though there was a king in Israel, he was still supposed to get his orders from God. Saul was never intended or authorized by God to act on his own. And I submit to you tonight that Saul got in a heap of trouble when he acted on his own. Same way with you, same way with me. We, our lives get 
in, in a bad way and we suffer the consequences when we operate and function on our own apart from the commandments of God. Well, man, he was doing everything he was supposed to do. He was, he was taking the battle to them and he was mobilizing the troops and, and slaying everything until, until he came to Agag. I wonder what those moments in the battle would have been like. I mean, here they are in battle fighting and then they come upon Agag and, and I, I don't know, please allow me just to use my imagination here. Maybe there's someone that has sword drawn and about to, to take out the leader of, of the Amalekites, Agag, and Saul says, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. Wait. Let's keep him alive. Um, do you think Saul had a soft moment right then? No, he didn't have a soft moment. I'll tell you what he had. He thought, wait a minute, this is a trophy right here. Yes. I'll parade him around and show how strong and mighty I am and my administration is. And if there's ever been anybody that's ever doubted just how strong my leadership is and how about I take Agag around here, almost like holding him in the, like, with a, a hook through his nose and saying, listen, here's, here's, what, here's what happens to a king that comes against, against Saul. I think he took him as a prize item. I'll come to that here in just a moment. But he spared Agag, not out of a weak moment, but because I think it was a matter of pride. In fact, God said to Saul through Samuel, when you were little in your own eyes, when you were little, but now evidently he's not little in his own eyes. Now he's big in his eyes. And then, and then as I see them, they're slaying camels and slaying oxen and slaying sheep. And, and I, don't, I don't know, who was it? Was it Saul? Was it one of the other soldiers that said, oh man, that's, that's some good looking livestock right there. Uh, Captain, what are we to do here? What do you mean, what are we to do? It's very clear what we're supposed to do. So, well, I, I know we're supposed to slay all the oxen, and all the sheep and everything, but I mean, this is, I mean, this is pretty prime stock right here. I mean, we could use this in the uh, youth expo. <laughs> Sorry, it was just in town. Uh, we, we've got sheep here. I mean, these are prime sheep. I mean, this is, this is good meat. Uh, yeah, good point. Let's, let's save them. And, and those oxen, that's fine. Let, let's, let's keep them. We'll have a big old sacrifice to God. That's what we'll do. Uh, how about these over here? Man, they're scrawny. Kill them. Right? I'm not making this up, right? You saw it. Let's keep the best, the fatlings, the oxen, the sheep. I mean, the best of the fall. Keep all those. But these scrawny animals over here, yeah, just, I mean, they, they're, yeah, offer those to God. Let's keep the best for ourselves. Hey, listen, I, I wonder if there's anybody here that maybe is offering God what you don't want and keeping the best for yourself. Saul said, yeah, let's, let's do that. That's, that's a good idea. I think, uh, I think I'd be all right. Here's what he did. He selected. He selected what he was going to obey and when he was going to obey and when he wasn't going to obey. He selected that. He selected. 
He made a conscious choice. He selected what he was going to obey. He selected when he was going to obey. Can I say this to you? When he selected when he was going to obey, he elected himself to be in charge. When he selected whether he was going to obey this commandment or not, he nominated himself to be the one that would call the shots. They moved to Carmel. This is what I did not notice. Some of you have noticed this before. I didn't catch it before. You know what he did? He set up a big old monument to himself. When it says there that he made a place for himself, do you see it? When, he, when it says he made a place, the idea behind that is he set up this, this stone that would commemorate what a great victory that I brought here. That's what he did. He, uh, he made sure he got the commendation and the applause of the people. In fact, evidently, I mean, they, they went along with his plan to have this. I, I, don't, I, wonder, <laughs> I mean, I wonder what this uh, monument ceremony uh, went. I wonder who was to speak. I believe Saul spoke himself. I'd like to dedicate this stone to the one who led in this battle today. It was proven victorious, even though many there were doubters. But we saw the Amalekites and we defeated the Amalekites. We saved Agag, pathetic looking king. Here's what a real king looks like. And I've got a monument made up to myself. Are you listening to me? That's what he did. He made sure that his self-interest was what came first rather than God's interests. Samuel. God speaks to Samuel during the early evening and he spends the night crying out to God. And was he praying for Saul? No doubt he prayed for Saul, but I think he was praying for Israel because he saw just how things were shaping up and, and, and how that a self-centered leader as he's selecting what he's going to do and what he's not going to do rather than doing what God simply said. He was electing to set himself up and, he, and Samuel knew that the nation was in great danger when a man acts on his own. And he came to Saul. And, I, you know, I mean, I, I just got to think that uh, Saul, Saul Samuel coming maybe from a distance and promptly got up and said, man, Samuel, let me tell you, I'm glad to see you. Blessed be thou of the Lord, brother. Performed all that you said to do. All that God said to do. I've done it all. I've, I've wiped out the Amalekites. I've done just what God said to do. <laughs> Keep him up in the ceiling tile. <laughs> well, hey, uh, Samuel, uh, Saul, if you've been obedient to God, then why am I hearing sheep? If you've been obedient to God, why am I hearing oxen? In other, in other words, Samuel saying this, listen, you've not been obedient to God. You've been selective in what your obedience would be before God. You kept the best for yourself. God said to spare none and you kept Agag and you kept all the best and you've been selective and thus you have elected to be in charge. And you're not the one that's able to be in charge here. God and God alone is able to be in charge. And so he learned a hard lesson right there and it cost him the kingdom. In fact, we're going to go on and read later and, and see that this rebellion, I mean, he's, he, he has partial obedience and everybody else around him, hang on just a minute here. He, everybody else around him would have said, man, we wiped him out. We pretty well did what God said. 
We pretty well did what God said. We just about did everything that God said to do. We, we wiped them out except for Agag and except for them. But other than that, we did great. And everybody else was applauding Saul. And everybody was rejoicing at his monument ceremony and all those things. But there's one in heaven that was not rejoicing that day. Because even though he had the applause of people and they said, yeah, you did good, Saul. You did good. You did most of what God said to do. God cannot bless partial obedience. Because when you select what you're going to obey and what you're not going to obey, then you have elected yourself to be in charge and there can't be two gods in this universe. And what we all need to do is resign as a CEO of the universe and say, God, I just want to be under your command. Now that was then, this is now. I wonder if God has some commandments that are just as abundantly clear to us as what they were to Saul. Most certainly there's commandments that God has, clear commands that God has made, clear things that God has said that, that he has made abundantly, abundantly clear. And, and what we ought to consider here tonight for just a few moments is this. Do you have selective obedience when it comes to obeying God? Do I have selective obedience? And I think tonight, folks, if we're all honest, and you know, I'm including myself in this as well. If I'm honest about this, there's times that I am selectively obedient to God because there's some things that I don't mind to do, but other things I don't want to do in obeying God and you become selective. And when you select which of God's commands you're going to obey, you elect to be in charge and selective obedience rules you out of God's will. And we're pretty good at finding excuses. Just like Saul said, you know, Samuel, I tell you, the people, they just, they wanted to keep them. I just kind of went along with it. We can blame everybody else except ourselves. And, and then, then we can do this. We can think, you know, I'm, in, I'm obeying God in most areas. Sure. There's a few things I'm not obeying God in, but hey, hey, nobody's perfect. And it's like we just kind of give ourselves an out. Like, what do you have in mind? Well, he said, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. All things that I've commanded you. So, we, I mean, church, uh, I think this would be a good place to start right here. We have a very clear command to go into all the world and teach and preach the gospel. But, you know... Um, you can be pretty selective in doing that. I know God wants me to share the gospel, but I mean, people are not open today. So we're going to base whether or not we obey God on whether or not people are open to the gospel. We'll be in selectively obedient. Selective obedience, we, we, we're selecting what we're going to obey, when we're going to obey, and thus we elect ourselves to be in charge when we say, God, I, you know, I know you said to share the gospel, but. 
Some even go so far as to say, you know, the Great Commission, it doesn't apply to us. It only applies, it only applies to the disciples. You know those people that say that? You know what that is? In, in Greek, balagna. <laughs> oh, no, wait, that's Hebrew. Baloney. <laughs> balagna. Oh, that's baloney. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's a cop out. That's a, yeah, that was just for them. That's not for us. Hey, we got a commandment upon us. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13 talks about neither yield yourselves as members of unrighteous, but yield yourselves unto God. And, and somebody here might say this, you know, hey, look, preacher, I'm sacrificing a lot by being involved in the Lord's work. I think it's okay if I indulge in a little bit of sin every now and then. I mean, I sing Christian songs every Sunday, every Wednesday. I think it's okay if I just... Uh, Save a few songs. That was bad songs. That was terrible. That was really bad. I think it's okay if I have a little bit of country every now and then. I think it's okay if I have a little bit of rock and rhythm every now and then. I think it's okay if I have a little contemporary Christian. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I realize, you know, it pretty much sounds like what I used to listen to, but... It's got better words than what it used to have. I'm doing pretty good. You know what it sounds like to me? You're setting a monument up to yourself and like you're in charge here and like you get to choose when God says that we're to be holy in all manner of conversations. And when he says all manner of conversations, that leaves no manner of conversation out because music is a part of our conversation and all the other areas of life are a part of conversation. And you can't sit there in front of that television set and think, well, I'm just going to watch this and I know it's got nudity in it and I know that it's got violence in it. But hey, the rest of the week I'm not doing that. I think it's okay. And I'm sacrificing a lot by serving God. A lot of people are worse than this. You're selectively obeying. Well, look, 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 look. As long as I'm tithing. Well, good. That's good. Tithe. Everybody ought to be tithing. Everybody that has an income ought to be tithing. All God's people ought to be tithing. Somebody say amen right there. Yeah. Well, as long as I'm tithing, I think God's okay if I gamble every now and then. If I go down to the casino, uh, you know, I mean, I go out of town to do it. You know, I go down there and I, I can't think where one is right now. You'll be glad to know. I, 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 I'm going to go down there on I-35 right there at the Texas-Oklahoma line. I mean, people are there all the time. I go out of town because I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody here at the church. Ain't no... Big deal about me gambling. If I go to Vegas, if I go on a cruise, if I do, you know, some of these things, I think, hey, I'm tithing. Bah. I'm tithing. <laughs> Selectively obeying. I'm going to obey God here, but I don't think I have to obey God there. I think I get in out. I think, I think, oh, so uh, I'm trying not to be sarcastic. Hang on just a minute. Um, so you're above other Christians. You think the rules apply to others, but not to me. Hey, look, it's not my fault. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. So you're going to blame everybody else for what you're doing? It's their fault. It's the preacher's fault. It's, it's because somebody said something to me and I'm bitter about it. I'm upset and I, I deserve to 
say what I'm going to say. So you're, you're, you're choosing then when you're going to gossip and when you're not going to gossip. And God's okay when you do gossip because it's like you've been mistreated. It's okay as long as you've been mistreated. You see how this breaks down? And it doesn't make it doesn't even make logical sense. It certain, certainly doesn't make biblical sense that we give ourselves an out. How about this one? A clear command. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25. Uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but, but that we would gather together, that we would assemble as, as a church family. And you say, man, preacher, you're preaching to people that are here tonight. That's, that's wonderful. You ought to be here because this is simply what God tells us to do. But some believers, and maybe you, are selective in when you're going to attend. I, uh, it's time change Sunday. I'll attend on time change Sunday in the fall because I get an extra hour, not in the spring. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we get off key every now and then. And I'll tell you the truth. I don't know that live stream has done us a whole lot of good. And I'm real glad for live stream. And, and somebody, somebody might, and I realize that we have people that are truly shut in, not able to get out. And I'm not picking on them in any wise. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But some say, well, I just don't do well in big gatherings. How was the, how was the OU game? Oh man, that was awesome. <laughs> how many people were there? 80, 90,000 people. Ah, it's just a small gathering. Do you hear the hypocrisy of that? I don't do well in big gatherings. I, I don't get out in crowds. You go to Walmart? You go out to eat? I'm just saying there can be a lot of hypocrisy. Well, I don't go to church because, 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 because. You better be careful lest you get selective in your church attendance. Yeah, and and I, I, realize, I, mean, I think everybody here ought to go on vacations, take your family on vacations. I believe that when you're on vacation, you ought to attend a church somewhere, a, a, a good Bible preaching church where you can find one. It's tough to find sometimes where you go, but I think you ought to be there to be an encouragement to them. I mean, listen, God's the one who told us, assemble, get together. But, but while we're here in Oklahoma City, you ought to be faithful to your church attendance. Don't get in your mind. And I'm not, I'm not saying there's anybody here that has this mentality, but how about we just head this off before it becomes a mentality? Well, I just kind of visit around to different churches so I can be a blessing to everybody. You know, you may be setting up your monument way too soon, like you're, you're some kind of a blessing to everybody, or you just get to do whatever you want to do. God said to be faithful to your family, to be faithful to your, your assembly. Are you listening to me here tonight? I, I think that we can, we can get some help right here if we wouldn't be selective and say, well, you know, that doesn't really apply to me because I've got... Not according to what God said. Can't make... You can't make allowances for yourself. 
Proverbs chapter 23, verse 31. I read Proverbs 23 this last week, getting ready for a video that I did. And I didn't do this verse, but uh, uh, we're doing a trail marker every week, just wisdom for the word of God, how to think you know, about things as we go into the trails of life. And, and, and let me just say this. If, if the word of God says that we're not supposed to look upon the wine when it's red and it gives it its color and, it, and it move, it's movement in the cup. Listen, if he said you're not even supposed to look at alcohol, no, 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 wait a minute. Uh, he said, don't even look at it. What makes you think you can drink it? Amen. Well, I close my eyes when I drink it. I don't. <laughs> he said, don't even look at it. So why do you think, and I'm not saying that you do, but there might be somebody here that kind of wrestles with that. Why do you think that God would be okay with social drinking? Like, well, it's okay if it's just a group of us friends, you know, get together after work and just kind of relax a little bit and get a little wine or a little, little uh, drink, a little bud or a little, uh, little uh, 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 beer can. <laughs> it just kind of calms me down. Read the Bible. Perfect peace have they that love thy law. Well, that may be okay for you, preacher, but that's not, that's not how I live. Oh, so there's a different, oh, there's sarcasm again. Hang on just a minute. So there's a different standard in, among believers then. So he expects this out of preachers, but he doesn't expect it out of you. But, hey, hey, hey. I don't drink the hard stuff. I don't drink, I don't drink the hard stuff. Well, why don't you just obey God and just totally wipe it all out? Why don't you just go home and pour out every, every little wine cooler you had, every little drink you had, just pour it out. Get rid of the Amalekites. Yes. Ephesians 6, 1 Peter 3, husbands, love your wife. Wife, see that you reverence the husband. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, provoke not your children under wrath. Hey, preacher, look, it's not easy to be a leader of a family. I, I totally get that and I agree. It's not, can I get a witness right there among the men? It's not easy being a leader, but that doesn't give us an out to say, well, you know, it's just not easy. So I, I can't, I can't rule everything. I can't control everything. I understand you can't control everything, but what we ought to do is get our commandments from God and lead our families the way that God wants us to. And it's not easy. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. What do you expect? Listen, we can't offer excuses to God. Well, if you knew my wife, you'd understand why I have a hard time loving her. Just don't tell her I said that. God says, love your wife. There's, there's no exception in that. There's no asterisk, see down below, unless she is contentious. No, he just said, love them. Preacher, look, I'd be submissive if he was a leader. Ooh, I don't know if I'd say that out loud. But since you did, uh, God said, be submissive to him, and that's not conditional. 
He said, well, I'll start to show him respect when he gets respectable. Only if he gets to love you when you're lovable. Bad. There's no out on this. We really shouldn't be looking for the out. We should be saying, God, I'm going to obey you regardless right here. If you knew my parents, preacher, you wouldn't say obey them. And I realize there's sometimes parents maybe would lead a child to lie or do something like that. And in, in those situations, it's best to obey God, not man. Are you following me? I mean, there's, there's difficult spots and parents ought not put children in that spot. But if you knew my parents, you wouldn't say that. They're mean and they're hateful. But, but listen, that gives you no grounds. It gives you no grounds to be mean and hateful to them. You ought to be obedient to your parents. Be, be submissive to them. Be respectful to them. God does not give you an out. You're supposed to obey God completely. Preacher, look, if you had my kids, <laughs> hey, you got your kids. Every parent's got their own kids. You, Yes, you got to raise them. But when we get selective about what area we're going to obey God in in parenting and what area we're not going to obey God in, then we just elected ourselves as God. God says to uh, chasing them be times, means early. Says not to spare the rod, for if thou beatest him with the rod, thou, he shall not die. That's not my life verse or anything, in case you're wondering. I mean, that's, that's not my life verse, but it's in the Bible that, listen, God said to use the rod in inappropriate, not in anger, not in, not in uh, fury, not, not because it's inconvenient to you. You say, well, society will never go for that. Hey, listen, we will never have the applause of society, but we've got to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to obey the Lord in obeying us. And, and we cannot be selective in what we're going to obey and what we're not going to obey. We just got to obey what God said to do totally. Has this made sense to you tonight? If God had white glove in your life, what are you hiding? What liner have you used to kind of cover up what you're hiding? What, what have you hid in the ceiling? What have you got hidden on your phone? What have you got hidden in your house? What have you got hidden at work? Who are you talking to secretly? You come here and you, you sound real good. Hey, I, we're offering up sacrifices to God. We're going to save these sheep to offer them up to God. And all the while, Saul, Saul was totally disobeying God. So you know how to walk the walk and talk the talk, but are you really walking it? Because God is inspecting. And He's been very clear in these matters. And it would be best for you just to trust and obey. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. I sure appreciate your attention. Completely rebellious nature of partial obedience. I believe we struggle right there, church. If we'd all be honest, I believe that there are ways that we are partially obedient to God, largely obedient to God. But His standard is not even excellence. His standard is holiness. 
perfectness. You say, well, I can't attain that. Well, the Holy Spirit of God works in us to lead us that way. But the thing we can't do is say, well, I'm going to choose to do this and not choose to do that and think that God's going to be okay with it. He won't. Father, uh, tonight, your word has confronted us right where we are and we deceive ourselves. We say we have no sin, but I'm thankful that your word also goes on to say that if we have sin, if we confess our sin and forsake it, if we confess our sin, then you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sin, of all unrighteousness even. I thank you for that. We began even this morning that way, that you're a God who pardons and you can help us, Lord. I pray that you'd help us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 451, we're singing, Trust and obey. Would you come as Brother Aaron leads us on this very first verse? Trust and obey. Are you obeying God in every area? Would you analyze that here tonight as we sing?